Well, um, open your Bibles to Micah. Curveball, eh? Uh, I uh, just in my pre- preparation for this week, just felt like this was a, a, a timely message, especially in light of Father's Day, and uh, I'll, I'll get to why that is in a little bit here. But um, uh, but there's also a, a a part of of today's message that I appreciate, just from a uh, from a guy's perspective, that uh, uh, we're we're kind of like. Dragnet fans, you know, it's like just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. It's like, let's get to the point. What, what is it? What are we talking about here? And, and uh, Micah 6 8 is kind of that, that for me that uh, just encapsulates what does God want from us? He's told us. Here it is. And, um, but uh, but to, before we get to Micah 6 8, which many of you probably will have memorized, perhaps from a VBS that you attended. Um, that uh, I want to give you a, kind of an overview of Micah and um, uh, the book of Micah. So, uh, but uh, before we do that, I just want to ask the Lord to direct our steps here as we turn to his word this morning. Father, um, anything us dads know about being good dads, we learned from you. And it's to you that we come today to ask for your direction, for your wisdom, for your understanding as we open your word to listen to you, to have you impart your, your truths and your wisdom to us today as a father does to his children. Lord, we ask that you would lead us into all truth and that you would... Um, by your spirit, that you would uh, give us understanding and a knowledge that, uh, of how to put these things that you speak to us into practice, um, to have our hearts, our lives, our minds transformed by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, as we've gone through Exodus together, um, the Lord had formed a, a covenant with his people. And, um, and he, throughout all of history, has shown himself to be perfectly faithful. God has never, um, never had to apologize for failing to follow through with his promises. Man, on the other hand, uh, it, it's an like beating a dead horse, as they say, that we have this issue with following through with things, even with the best of intentions. Then you add in evil desires, and, and it's a mess. And the track record we see of the Old Testament is that God remains faithful even when his people are faithless. Even when his people betray him, are disloyal to him, he remains faithful and we see this cycle of, of God drawing near to his people, his people drawing near to him, and, and then his people drifting away from him, and then uh, forsaking him altogether, and then going through some really difficult things because of it, and then they plead with God and repent, and God brings them back 
restores them. And, and we see that cycle over and over. We see the pattern of a forgiving and faithful God. Even though he still remains the judge of all. He judges sin, but he's also forgiving and faithful. And that really is the theme that flows through Micah. Is God's judgment and God's faithfulness and forgiveness. And there's quite a contrast in Micah that we're going we're gonna to see real quick here as we just kind of quickly go through what's going on. In Micah's day, um, God is bringing, bringing to light um, some real problems that were going on in Israel. And there's kind of two kingdoms, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, uh, that in Micah gets referred to as Samaria and Judah, Judah being the southern kingdom. And, uh, and it seems what happens, based, based on Micah, it seems what, what has happened is that, that uh, Samaria has, has been so heavily influenced by neighboring pagan practices and beliefs and, and all of that uh, from, from neighbors that they, they've drifted that way in a, hard, in a hard way and have forsaken their love for God to the point where uh, they, they've just uh, walking without fear of God's judgment. And one of the things that happens, and we can see it in our world today, is when the fear of God is forsaken, when there is no fear of, of, of one day standing before God and having to give account uh, for the things that we've done, when, we, when we, people don't operate with the fear of the Lord, what comes next is a forsaking of human life. And, we, and that is what began to happen in Samaria and, and just thoroughly corrupted Samaria and then crept down into Judah and so that all of Israel had been corrupted in this way. So that as we look to, uh, look to Micah, the descriptions that we see is uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 2, it says they, they covet fields and seize them. And houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Um, there's this is with the descriptions we see of the way that the people were operating um, is is pretty pretty horrible. And um, and then we get over to verse eight, and he says, "My but lately of chapter two, but lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by." trustingly with no thought of war the women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses from their young children you take away my splendor forever in fact if you go down to verse 11 we see what what really the what it was like at that time it says if a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying i will preach to you of wine and strong drink he would be the preacher for this people in other words, they had forsaken truth and they had forsaken the value of human life and they did not fear God's judgment. And the way that they lived was the ends justify the means. The ends, if the ends uh, were accomplishing their, in, their evil desires, then whatever means were needed to acquire that, whether it be the stepping on others uh, the taking advantage of those less fortunate, um, whatever it, whatever was required to achieve the means, or to achieve the the ends, the uh, the means were justified. 
And that, that's, uh, you're starting to see probably some reflections of the day in which we live, aren't you? Some things are looking um, sadly recognizable here. Well, as we continue on there, um, that uh, it, it was not just that it was, uh, and, and this, is, this is a reality for us as well. One of the things that's really easy to do when, when there's corruption, when there's injustice, it's really easy to point fingers, right? Um, but one of the things that's revealed here in Micah is that this wasn't just a leadership problem, although we're going to talk about that just in a second. This, this was the whole people had adopted this, this worldview of living where the ends justify the means, where God is not going to hold us accountable for this, and the value of human life is only what we gain from it. But when we get into chapter 3, there's some, there's some real harsh words that, I mean, uh, you want to talk about offensive? Uh, I would imagine that the folks here that are being spoken to by God are highly offended. But uh, they're, they're being told uh, from the Lord's perspective what's really going on here. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And I said, here, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the houses, house of Israel. So in other words, he's addressing those who should be looking out for the welfare of the people is whom he's addressing right now. He says, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. See, they were taking advantage of others for their gain. So those whom they should have been watching over, those whom they should have been protecting, they were taking advantage of to achieve whatever ends they desired. And God looked at this and said, you are cannibals. You're devouring the very people you should... It'd be like... Uh, the, the, the shepherd who just goes out and, and strikes the sheep dead for no good reason or because he's mad at him. Not the shepherd who cares for the sheep, even when it's tough. And that's one of the contrasts we see in Micah, actually, as we go through it, is the way that the leaders were leading the people and the, and the contrast to the good shepherd. As we keep going through here, we see some more specifics of what God is talking about here down in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. In other words, they were willing to sell out integrity, character, truth, um, faithfulness, loyalty. They were willing to sell it to the highest bidder. They weren't concerned about 
about being rooted and grounded in truth um, for the sake of honoring and glorifying God and planted, being planted firmly there whether people agree or not. They were willing to tell people whatever they wanted to hear so long as there was a kickback. They were willing to forsake justice as long as it benefited them. And what makes it even worse is not only did they do that, but then look, continue on in verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So not only did they practice such evil, such evil that God would call it cannibalistic, and in other places refers to it as prostitution. So the description God gives of the way His people are operating, and especially the leaders of His people, were cannibals and prostitutes. And even though they, they went about like that, they continued to say, hey, we belong to God. We're all good here. Well, as we continue on, even in spite of all of that, God lays out a plan that He's going to bring a Messiah, a Savior, to restore those who would repent and turn to Him to reconcile them, to forgive them. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, some of this is going to sound familiar because later on we have a Savior that comes through Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Even in spite of the faithlessness of God's people, he still is seeking to restore the lost, to restore those who have rebelled against him. We see God's faithfulness. We see God's love for even those who rebel against Him and betray Him. As we get into chapter 6 then, God brings His indictment against the people in chapter 6, verse 2. He says, Here you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people and He will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. God asks rhetorical questions here. He says, what have I done to harm you? How how have I wronged you? What is it that that has been so so exasperating about, about His reign over them? Verse 4, he reminds them of his faithfulness. So he asks the rhetorical question, and then, and then he makes it clear that it's ridiculous for them to have such thoughts. He says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, 
and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, asked or answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God recounts to them his faithful interventions and rescuing of them when he brought salvation to them. And then in verse 6, we have the response of the people. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? In other words, well then Lord, how do we please you? How do we make you happy? And then here's some ideas. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Shall I bring the best of my, of my young calves to, to offer to God in a burnt sacrifice? Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? So maybe I bring my best to him, or maybe I, I bring a lots of the best to him. And I offer a volumes to him of my possessions. Maybe that will please him if I give a lot or if I give the best. Verse 7 again, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Maybe I can please God if I even give my firstborn. In other words, what they're saying is, God, what's your price? What is the price to gain your favor? See, this is how they've been operating. This is the very thing that gets pointed out to them. That they operated in a world where if you wanted something, you just had to find the right price. Preachers would say whatever you wanted them to as long as they got the right price. Prophets would prophesy whatever you wanted them to as long as they got the right price. Judges would deal out whatever kind of judgment as long as they got the right price. And so they turn to God and say, God, what's your price? How do we make you happy? Can we bring you sacrifices? Can we bring you our tithes and offerings? Can can we bring you our firstborn? How does God respond? Verse 8, He's told you. If you're really interested in pleasing him, he's told you. And if you go back through the scriptures, especially those first six books of, of, of what we have our Bible here, you're going to see that what God says here, he reiterates many, many times. And it's all through the Old Testament. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. You want to know what's good before God? Here it is. And, he, and what does the Lord require of you? What is it that will make God happy? What is it that will please Him and honor Him? Is it more giving Him more stuff? Can you buy Him out? He says, here's what it is. Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. What does it mean to do justice? Well, God in this context is not saying take the law in your own hands and if somebody's breaking it, you go, it's your job to go make it right. That's not what he's saying here. What God is saying with do justice is treat people right. 
They are created in the image of God. Treat them as such. You don't agree with them? Guess what? They're still created in the image of God. They've done wrong to you? Guess what? They are still created in the image of God. Treat people as the creatures that they are being created in the image of God. They don't have value because they're useful to you. They don't have value because they help you accomplish your ends. They have value because they've been created in the image of God. God loves them. And God values them. And God wants us to to represent Him in this world. Which means He wants us to value and love as He values and loves so do rightly by people. Don't take advantage of them. Don't, don't take advantage of especially, and this is one thing that God makes extremely clear, it seems like this is a real, uh, you want to make God angry, this is, one way to, this is the way to get right to it, is to mistreat those who are most vulnerable. To take advantage of those who, who are most vulnerable. which is what was happening in this day. That leaders would take advantage of whomever so long as it helped them to accomplish their goals. God says, do justice. Love kindness, or in many translations, love mercy. To show kindness and mercy. People ask, can we bring you sacrifices? Can we bring you gifts and offerings and and maybe even give our firstborn to you? Will that please you? And he says, "Uh, show mercy. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, he has a conversation with the Pharisees and the scribes and, um, and he's fired up about it. Because the same thing was happening with the Pharisees and the scribes. Those who were to be the religious leaders who watched over the welfare of the people and, and led them to the God who loved them were the very ones who stood in the way and used them for their own gain. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So he says, you're, you're in there with a magnifying glass uh, making sure that you perfectly tithe on your spices, but you've totally neglected the things that matter more. Now what we're going to find out is he doesn't say you shouldn't tithe on your spices. He says there are things that are of more value than that. In other words, God doesn't say back here in in Micah that I don't desire sacrifices, you know, that these are of no value. It is that when they are separated from a heart of love for God, they are worthless. And Jesus says, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. God says you, uh, you can't get shined up enough on the outside. You can't do enough stuff to earn my favor. If you want to walk in the steps of God, if you want to walk in a way that honors Him, then do justice, love mercy, and operate with faithfulness. See, there's a message, this message flows throughout Scripture, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New, from the beginning to the end. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Micah 6, 8 is. That's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 23. Love God and love people with the love of God. God is not impressed with our sacrifices. God is not impressed with our giving when it is separated out um, from a love with, for him. We can't earn his favor. We can't buy his favor. God's expectation is that his people will love him and be a vessel of his mercy and love and kindness and justice in this world. See, in Micah's day, his people had abandoned that. They had become overwhelmingly corrupt and selfish and evil in their dealings with one another. We just, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we just can never separate out um, loving others. It, 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 is, it is impossible to, to cat, like put that in its own category as if it's, a, it's one thing we do. No, if we are followers of Christ, that is the main thing we do. That is at the heart of what we do. You, you look at the Apostle John and you open up his epistles. Uh, if you pull out everything in John's epistles that ties following Christ with loving others, you have no, none, nothing left of John's epistles. It is at the heart of honoring God is loving others and dealing fairly with people, justly and rightly. They had disregarded his faithfulness. They did not remember his faithfulness. They did not remember his judgment against sin. And because of that, they were also susceptible then to the sins of the pagan nations around them. And they fell into that. And this is where I want to bring it to where we are today and the importance that I see of this message as it relates to Father's Day. I believe today it is extremely important for Christian men to operate as men of God who operate with with the very things that God called his people to in Micah 6 8. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. We live in times that often read like the book of Micah. 
where we see a worldview taking over that says we have nothing to fear of God's judgment. And because of that, then we see a devaluing of human life that people are there for us to use for our gain, whatever that would be. Which is how we end up at thousands upon thousands upon thousands of babies being aborted. We see people being taken advantage of in all sorts of unjust ways across the world. And this is where I believe it is extremely important in this day for men to stand up and live out what it means to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. God is seeking men and women who will do this. But I believe that Christian men need to lead the way to be vessels of His justice, mercy, grace, and faithfulness. That we must pass these attributes on to our children, our grandchildren, and leave in the world to teach others how to live this out. Listen, if, we are, if you are a Christian man, then one thing that should be true of you is that you fear God's judgment. It is the fear of God's judgment that has driven you to the cross to find forgiveness of your sin. And because you know you're going to be held accountable to God, you want to honor Him and please Him and show your love for Him in the way that you operate in this world, whether it's with your family, co-workers, neighbors, anyone else that you encounter. And because you operate with the fear of the Lord, you're going to treat people with dignity and respect and love and mercy and kindness. You bring something into this world that the world desperately needs right now. Why do families crumble? Why do communities crumble? Why do nations crumble? I believe this is at the heart of it. When nations forsake a fear of the Lord beginning at home, when peoples forsake the fear of the Lord, it leads to a devaluing of human life, a forsaking of family, a forsaking of the covenant of marriage, a forsaking of God-given authority, and societies and nations crumble. A healthy community, a healthy family, a healthy nation is built upon men who will stand and walk with God humbly, who will do justice, who will love mercy, who will be his agents of goodness in this world and of truth and who won't forsake it. And so my message to you men today, whether you're a dad or not, is let us not fail. Let us never grow weary of helping others and protecting those who are most vulnerable. You know, dads, you kind of take this stuff for granted. But last, last winter, um, you dads that grabbed a couple of your kids and went and shoveled an elderly couple out after some snow, you're doing this. You're passing on what it looks like to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. When, when you uh, 
dropped what you were doing to go help a friend who was stranded on the side of the road with a breakdown, you're doing this. You're doing justice, you're loving mercy, and you're walking humbly with God. You're modeling this. That's what we have to do. Not just to tell our kids about it, our grandkids about it, but to live it out, to show what does it look like, because we live in a world that doesn't get this. Thankfully, there are a lot of people who love God who are putting this into practice, but we live in a world that doesn't get this. It is the ends justifies the means. And people have a price. But we stand on the word of God, which directs us to the truth of God and who he is and how he has loved us and been faithful to us. And so we do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. Men, continue in good works that God created for you to do. The world needs us to step up. And it is one of the things that I have loved and been so thankful for with this church body is men, I see you do this. You don't make a big fanfare out of it as, as, as you shouldn't. You just do it. You do justice. You treat people fairly. You watch out for those who are most vulnerable. You stand up for them. You love mercy. You deal out mercy and kindness. And you walk humbly before God. So continue in that. Are you a follower of Christ? Then walk in that. If you're not a follower of Christ, one way I would ask you this, maybe you don't, aren't real sure. Have you repented of your sin before God? Have you asked for His forgiveness? Have you committed your life to Him? Because you can't pass on what you don't possess. If you yourself are not surrendered to Christ, you cannot pass that on to your kids. You can tell them stuff, and you can do some good stuff, but to pass on a heart that loves God, you need to put it into practice in your own life. Come to Christ, ask for his forgiveness, and give your life to him. And then be an example for your family and for the world around you of what it means to love God and to love others. Men, the world is counting on you. We've got an important role to fill, and I know that the, that the message from the world is, you're not really needed. Like, women have this under control. And there's a lot of jokes that we can make about that, and there's maybe a little bit of truth in that, but the reality is, Lord, God has, has created male and female in this world for a reason. He has brought men and women together in the covenant of marriage for a reason. And you have an important role. Don't shirk your responsibility. Stay in the fight and keep on. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us, for how you have modeled these things to us, your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace, your justice. You show no partiality to any person because of where they come from or how much money they have or how much uh, power they have in this world. Lord, we are all sinners that must come to you through the cross. And you reconcile us to yourself. And you teach us your ways. 
Lord, we ask that you would continue to help us grow in that. Lord, help us to be the men that you've created us to be, that we should walk in the work, good works that you've laid out before us to do, that we would set the example for this world, for our families, for our community, for, for this nation, of, of how we ought to treat one another. Lord, of how we ought to fear your judgment and walk in the light of that. Of how we ought to cling to the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be vessels of your justice, of your mercy, of humility. Lord, I pray this over our fathers today that you would empower them and equip them. Lord, whatever phase in life that they're at, and our young men who would someday aspire to be fathers, or perhaps, uh, Lord, those men who don't have children of their own, Lord, that you would, you would equip them to still set the godly example in the lives of the people around them, Lord, to direct people to you and to show them what it means to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. you stand with me?